Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning with verse 35. The earlier part of this chapter, before we read verse 35, has to do with the resurrection that Paul was arguing with uh, the Corinthians about. Some did not believe in the resurrection. And of course, uh, he tells them, if Christ is not risen, you're yet in your sins. Your faith is in vain. We're pre- our preaching is vain. And he speaks, speaks of a whole lot of things about it. Then he says... But now is Christ risen from the dead, I believe that's verse 20, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. And he goes on to tell about what the resurrection means. And in view of the resurrection, we come down to verse 35 and we talk about the resurrection of the bodies. He says in verse 35, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And it is a sign of of foolishness and unbelief to question God on how the dead are raised up or with what body they'll come or to question that he cannot completely uh, do what uh, we know that he's able to do. God tells us and we're taught just because our limited minds cannot comprehend or understand something completely that that doesn't mean that he's not able to do it. In fact, if you look in Ezekiel 37 and verse 3, let me read this for you. Ezekiel 37 and verse 3 says this. It says, And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. So, when you have the question, can these bones live? Well, certainly, if God says they can live, he can give them life. Now then, uh, there are three questions that come to mind. Well, at least two questions. We'll make them simplify it with two. How could they be the same body since they will have completely be decomposed? And since the new bodies that are raised up will not eat or drink or reproduce as our present bodies do, how can they be raised up and raised up bodies and still not have the same things that we have upon this earth? And then... If there are different bodies that God raises up, then how can our personal identities be preserved? And Paul answers both of these questions. He will raise up our bodies and our personal identities will be preserved. At the same time, they will be new bodies and different bodies. Uh, The Bible tells us, you know, John says, uh, we know not what we shall be, 1 John chapter 3, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now, there's a lot of information as to what we shall be, but not completely and totally, because we're going to be glorified bodies and we shall be like him. And then when he says, But some men men will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And, And Paul goes on to say, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So, he calls them foolish to believe that uh, they can be raised up. The thought is that to believe they can be raised up without dying because it has to be sown before it can be quickened. And it has to die first. And he illustrates the theological point of this by that of the growth of the seed. And he turns the very objection that they have, how can the bodies be raised up? He turns that into showing that the death of a natural body 
And he makes his argument for the case, except it died. And he begins in verse 37 to show us this very thing. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain. Now then, what we see here is that uh, our new bodies will be different from our present ones, but our identity will remain. Just like we see a grain of wheat, when it's put into the ground, the, the, the grain really dies, it disappears, and then the germ of that grain is what grows and makes the new body or the new grain of wheat. And so, he's using here this figure to show us that whatever grain it is when, it, when it's sown, that uh, it will still die, it will dissipate and decompose, and yet out of that germ comes a new body or a new grain of wheat, if we want to put it that way, and it will have the same identity as that which died. It won't be the same one that died because it will be gone. But out of the germ of that uh, grain of wheat, it will have a, a, a new grain of wheat. And it will be just like the other one that, that died. And so when we die, we're going to die. And He's going to give us a new body and resurrect it. And He's going to change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. But when we're resurrected, we'll have an identity with the same person as well as uh, whatever, you know, some people are cremated. And their dust is scattered all over the, all over the fields or the mountains or whatever. Well, that doesn't make any difference to God because out of that germ of that individual, when He raises up that person... That person is going to have the identity that he had when he was upon this earth. And out of death is going to come an identical being or have the identity of that being that, was, that died. Now, there's some people that believe that God's going to gather all the parts up from all over the world or all over the field where the ashes are scattered or the bottom of the ocean and take those parts and try to, try to uh, in, in construct a new body out of the old parts? Well, that's a question theologians have battled with for ages. And if you know the answer, you know more than I do. But I know one thing. God is going to resurrect us. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to be like ourselves when we have a new body and a glorified body. And however He does it, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, let me read this for you according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. It says in chapter 3 of Philippians, For our conversation, that's our citizenship, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. Now, that's, when Christ comes, he's going to change us and we'll be trans, transformed. Uh, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. So He's going to fashion whatever body He gives us is going to be fashioned like unto His glorious body. Now notice this. According to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. He has the resources to do what He wants to do in giving us that new body. And Paul speaks of it. In uh, verse 38 of our text there, But God giveth it a body as it has pleased Him, and to every seed His own body. In other words, when we're raised up, we're going to be raised up after a human seed, 
We're going to be raised up with a body, a glorified body, but it's not going to be like that of a, an ape or a, a, a kangaroo or, or a lion or something, because he's going on to use, he's going to show in the next arguments that there's all kinds of flesh, of fishes and of beasts and so on. So we're going to, it's going to be of the same kind. And it'll be, have the same personality. And we'll have the same, we'll have the same identity. And that is proven by Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus on the mount in John, uh, Matthew chapter 17 and uh, Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. Moses and Elijah appeared with him as he was transfigured before them. And they were recognized by Peter, James, and John. Their identity was there. Their personages were there, even though they had never seen them, even though they had only heard about and read about in the Scriptures. And the Word of God had told Peter and James and John about Moses and Elijah. And they had the divine spiritual perfection, for that moment of time at least, on that Mount of Transfiguration, to recognize these two Old Testament saints, Moses and Elijah, that appeared with Jesus. And it says that it was a prefigure of His glory, appeared with Him in glory. So they're going to have this, we'll have the same identity. They have their same identity. And we will have our same identity. And there will be children that will be glorified. There will be babies that will be glorified. There will be uh, young people that will be glorified. There will be adults and older age people. We'll all be glorified. I don't know how much of all of the frailties, all, well, we know all the frailties will be gone, but there will be, you know, heaven wouldn't be heaven if it had all 90-year-old men in it, would it? And women. It must have. That's why we have little babies die. They're going to be glorified. Young people that are taken on to heaven. Christian young people. When our daughter passed away, well, I remember it was uh, uh, Dolly Shelton says, well, heaven wouldn't be heaven if we didn't have all all ages of people there and all uh, the family there. And I believe that's going to make up heaven. It's going to be rounded. It'll be glorified. But there's going to be what God wants it to be so that it will be for uh, a, it'll be a glorified place for all of us. So, when you read in verse 36, what thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Christ's resurrection did not eliminate physical death for us, but He allows it to take its course so that out of death He can create for us a new and a heavenly life. And He tells us about that grain that's sown. And Jesus used the same example of the seed. To show forth the death and resurrection, he used us, and to show forth his provision of our death and resurrection and of our salvation, and he used the same illustration in John twelve verse twenty four. Look, if you want to look at verse twenty four, Jesus said, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit." So he was speaking of his own death there. I have a sermon on uh, if Je- what if Jesus had not died? What if Jesus had not died? He says, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, speaking of his death, it abideth what alone. Heaven would be an awful lonely place if Jesus had not died, wouldn't it? It would abideth alone. But out of its death comes what? Life. 
And not only Christ's resurrection in life is spoken of here, but that, that the fact that He does not abide alone, that all that He's provided for in His death and resurrection will die and be resurrected. And of course we know the rapture speaks of the living believers being changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And we know that they're going to be changed because it says flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to have to be changed, aren't we? We're flesh and blood now. And we're going to have to undergo undergo a transformation. So back in our text now, and let's hurry along because I have so much that we haven't dealt with. It says in verse 39, look at verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. So it speaks of the flesh of different kinds of animals. And there's an implication here that in some sense our resurrection bodies will really be flesh, not just spirit, that we'll have a body. It doesn't mean a carnal body or a corruptible body, but we will have a body as God is pleased to make that body in glory. First, our new, new bodies will be different from one another because he shows here that there's difference of the flesh of birds and animals of all kinds and fishes. So there, there, our bodies will be different from one another and will be suitable to us. And our new bodies will be different from our present bodies, but they will still be bodies and they will still be our bodies because that's who's going to make us. And then he uses the illustration between celestial bodies and terrestrial. Look in verse 40. We'll read on down in 41. There are also celestial bodies and the bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. The celestial and the terrestrial are different. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star different differeth from another star in glory. So you have the celestial, not the glory of the sun and the moon and the stars that's introduced here, but the bodies of angels distinguished from the bodies of earthly creatures. And then the terrestrial, the differences in splendor between the earthly bodies and the heavenly bodies suggest that to Paul that the differences between the natural body and the spiritual body will be there. Celestial bodies and terrestrials. He's talking about uh, the bodies of angels as distinguished from the bodies of earthly creatures. And terrestrial, the differences in splendor between earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. Daniel 12, verse 3 describes God's people as shining like the sun and stars. He said they shall be as stars. Let me read Daniel 12. Let's see if I can find it. Daniel 12 and verse 3. If you'll look at this verse. It says this. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So he makes the comparison that we in the future will shine as stars. And that's the soul winners. Those that are turning many to righteousness as the stars forever. Jesus uses the idea of the differences between the tares and the wheat in Matthew chapter 13. Remember, he said there's wheat sown, and he says the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. In Matthew 13, 
Look at verse uh, 43, I believe it is. And he uses the same figure when, it's di- when they're divided. And it says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. After the division between the tares and the wheat, after the wheat's uh, gathered together and the tares are cast into the furnace of fire, he says, Then, what's going to happen? Verse 43 says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun. In the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so in that parable of the tares and wheat, he shows us that he used the same figure that Daniel does, is the sun and the stars. Verse 42 in our text. Look at verse 42. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now it tells us that it's compared to this. So also. It says it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. He shows that our bodies are liable to corruption. And just as our new bodies will be raised liable to incorruption, they will not corrupt. The new bodies will not. Will not be subject to corruption. And then he says furthermore, in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Dishonor. And dishonor here is uh, corresponding to our the body of our humiliation is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And raised in glory uh, indicates it will be raised like Christ's glorious body. So it will be raised in glory, in a glorious fashion. And it says, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. In weakness. We're weak, but we're going to be raised in power. Now look, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And he tells us there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So in a natural body. Our natural body is a soulish type body. The Holy Spirit in the spirit of believers is an earnest and a token of our spiritual state, superior state, when the time does come. Because the Holy Spirit is only the down payment or deposit of that which is spiritual that we will be someday. And meanwhile, in the body, this human body, the soul, the life of it, predominates. But hereafter, when we're raised a spiritual body, the body will be wholly molded in the spirit and suitable to the spirit, and the flesh will have nothing to do with it. And this body will meet the needs of man in a spiritual faculty of life and expression in glory. This body meets the needs of man's soul or personality down here and provides for man here. But then the spiritual body will provide for man in glory. Look at verse 45. And so it is written, the first Adam, the first man Adam was made a living soul. That is Adam. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So he distinguishes between a soulish body and a spiritual body. The first one became a living soul. In fact, in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, When God breathed in man's nostrils the breath of life, and he, he became a living soul. And this speaks of the result of God's creation of man. God created man in that fashion. And the last Adam, Jesus Christ, was, was made or became a quickening spirit, a life-giving spirit. Not just a living spirit, but a spirit who makes others to live. And Jesus said, Because I live, ye shall live also. 
When Christ was resurrected, He glorified, and He became a spiritual body. Even though He had a body, it was a glorified body. And remember, He told the uh, disciples, He says, I have a body. He says, touch me and handle me. For a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. But He, he was completely dwell, indwelt with the Spirit of God. The Spirit penetrated and uh, saturated his whole body and constituted his whole entire spirit being and that's the way we will be. And If you remember, Jesus is telling the Sadducees about the resurrection. They said, well, whose wife is this one going to be? This, this uh, uh, woman had seven husbands and so on and so forth and they all died and said, in heaven, whose wife is she going to be? Trying to trick Jesus. He said, you do greatly err. You not do not... Know, know the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Because he says in heaven, they're going to have spiritual bodies. And he says, furthermore, the power of God is able to change them in that fashion. In heaven, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage, or given marriage, but be like the angels. They'll be glorified beings. And they didn't know the Scriptures, because back there in the Old Testament, they were denying anything about the resurrection. Uh, these Sadducees were back there in the Old Testament when God spoke to to Moses, he says, I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Jesus uses that and he says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He said, remember when he spoke to Moses at the bush? He reminds him of that scripture. And Mo, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had been long dead. But he told Moses that, uh, that he is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he took, takes that scripture to tell the Sadducees that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Indicating that even in Moses' day, that they were already living, their spirit was living with God in glory. And someday they would receive their resurrected body at the time proper in God's time. And when he's chosen to resurrect bodies and give them their presence in his presence in glory. The condition of Jesus after His resurrection is seen as a glorified body and He will be in glory in the same way and you and I will be glorified as He is when He comes. John says, we know not what we shall be. We don't know exactly all the details. First John chapter 3. Let me give it to you. He says, Behold what manner of love, I believe it's verse 1, the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We're already now children of God. And he says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be. We've got these scriptures that show that we'll be recognized in heaven. We've got the scriptures that show that we'll have a glorified body like Jesus. But for all the exact details of our heavenly being, we do not know. He says, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this. We know that when He shall appear... We shall be like Him. And however that is, glorified in that heavenly being, we're going to be like Jesus. And whatever mysteries are left for us to, to uh, delve with and fool with while we're upon this earth uh, and speculate about, we can only take as far as the Word of God shows us, and we're going to be glorified with Him, and that will be sufficient for us. But we're going down and we find a lot of things here given to us that is, that are, that's very interesting. We'll have to hurry along. Notice what it says here uh, in verse 46. How be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. 
and afterward that which is spiritual. What's he saying here? First, we had the natural body, and that came from Adam, the first man, Adam. And secondly, we'll have the spiritual body. And who does that come from? The Lord. He says the first man is of the earth, earthy. That came from Adam. And he says the second man is the Lord from heaven. We have natural bodies before we receive our new resurrection bodies. Just as Adam came before Christ, the first man's of the earth. You know, Adam's name means red earth. And we're all made out of the same red clay. So that doesn't make one of us any better than anyone else, does it? Red earth. We're all from Adam. He said he's made of one blood in the book of Acts. All men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he's determined the times before of their habitation. God has determined where the nations are on this earth that we dwell in. He determined that before. But they're all of one blood. And all are sinful because of Adam. And those who are changed inwardly by the Holy Spirit and by the new birth become different creatures than they are in the natural sense of the word. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The only thing that makes us different from the rest of mankind that remain without conviction and conversion is the fact that we have been born again. And that's what makes the difference in men. That's what makes the difference in any individual. And I don't care how much you change from the outside, if you don't change from the inside, and God doesn't change you from within, you're still going to be mean as the devil. Because that's man's nature, to be mean. That's why we have so much violence and so much that we have to deal with nowadays. Since we've descended naturally from Adam, we belong to his race, have, have the same kind of body, and they have the same nature, and we bear the image of the earthy. But then we will bear the image of the heavenly one, and that's Christ. Christ, in the same way, when we belong to him and draw our life from him, we receive his nature, a divine nature, a new nature. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. And even now, we're starting to become more like him. And at the resurrection, we will be made completely like Him, both in soul, body, and spirit. And that's what Philippians chapter uh, 3 tells us. That uh, it says, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, when He shall appear, He shall change our vile body. When He comes again, He'll change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working. Someone says, how's He going to do that? According to the working whereby He is able even to subdue. He will subdue everything and subdue all things unto Himself. He will make it that way because He has the power to make it that way. He had the power originally to make us out of a handful of dust. He'll have the power to give us a glorified body. And subdue all things unto himself. We have to hurry along. I wanted to finish this if I could. Uh, Let's notice, if you will, verse uh, 48. It says, And as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We've borne the image of Adam. Now, when we're resurrected in Christ, in future time, when uh, the resurrection time comes, we're going to bear the image of the heavenly. And in verse 50, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, look at this, 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. You know, because our present bodies become sick and weak and old and give us much trouble, we ought to be really glad that we are doomed to die. We really should be glad because we wouldn't receive a new heavenly body and we would not be out of the pain of this earthly body. Suppose with the sickness and pain and things that you have, say at age 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever, suppose that continued on for a thousand years and it got worse and worse. You know how bad it got in 50 years. Multiply that by about 10 or 20. Would you want to live 2000, to be 2,000 years old? Not in this racked crate that we're in. No. We wouldn't want that, would we? And so there is a relief from it and a release from it. And we can thank God that we're not going to uh, be in this body forever. These bodies, you know, while we talk about sick and weak and old, there was a quiz program this morning. They asked, uh, I forget what program it was. They asked the question, what is old? And the answer they gave, one, one person said 65. What, no, what is real old? And this one answered 65. And I looked at Louise, she looked at me, we're 75. I thought, well, we're real, real old. And then the next one they asked, they said, well, uh, 80. And I thought, well, that's not real, real old because I know people that are, uh, that strong Thurman wasn't in 98, the senator that was taken off the floor yesterday or day before and with his sickness, and he's back now. Today he was back in, in Congress. But anyway, we find that, uh, you know, he's 98 and still going. I thought, well, what is real, real old? And she says, barely. Well, that's probably true of a lot of us. <laughs> but anyway, these new bodies will have no pain nor decay nor death, and they will, they will still keep our personal identities, just as Christ did when He arose. He, he says, this is me, you know, this same Jesus. He told the women who He was, told Peter, don't tell Peter that I'm living. The apostles all knew Him. And they knew he was the same Jesus, this same Jesus as he was taken up. They said, this same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now look at verse um, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. A mystery. This was a secret the Corinthians, for all their wisdom, could never have discovered. You know, they thought they knew it all about this, and many of them had already. If you look at the first part of this 15th chapter, you'll find that many of them had already denied that there was any such thing as a resurrection. And they had never discovered this. But the mystery is that even those who are still alive when Christ returns will be miraculously transfigured, as well as those who have died, they will be resurrected. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you saw not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, the word means proceed, or go before them which are asleep. For he says, for the dead in Christ shall rise first. We talk, usually talk about the rapture and the resurrection. We ought to talk about the resurrection and the rapture. You know it? For the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then 
we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 13, if you're looking at it. So, we find that uh, that's going to happen. And Elijah and Enoch of the Old Testament are types and forerunners of what Paul says, that we shall not all die. Remember, Enoch went to heaven. We preached on that. He went to heaven without dying. He walked with God and was not found, for God took him. And Elijah went up in a chariot of fire and horses of fire into heaven without dying. And so Paul says, we shall not all die, because we don't know when Christ will return. And we should be expecting it at any time, just as Paul was, and even more so because we know that the things, what's taking place now. It tells us that the last trumpet, let's see, let's read it. In verse uh, 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be chained. We'll not all die. Sleep is speaking of dying. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So he says the trumpet's going to sound. The trumpet was used in the Old Testament to call people, God's people together for solemn celebrations and for worship and even for battle. And this last trumpet that will sound will call God's people into His presence. And even those who have died will be called into His presence. He says in verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. The Bible tells us that this is going to take place for us. The Bible never teaches that our spirits and souls will live forever without bodies. It teaches the immortality of our souls, our spirits, and bodies together. That we're going to have a new body, a heavenly body. It says in verse 54, Then shall be brought, look, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. When that happens, it's going to be brought to pass what God has said about death. In Hebrews, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 2 quickly, we'll hurry and get this. Hebrews chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 14 and 15. It says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that's Christ, took upon him human nature, that through death, look at this, through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, he didn't deliver us from death itself in that way. We're going to die, and the Lord's going to permit it. But he's also delivered us from the fear of death, and he's guaranteed our complete victory over death. And we can look forward to the fulfillment of this victory over death. It says, Then will death be swallowed up in victory. Christ has conquered death so that it shall never more regain its power. And once we're resurrected, we'll have a glorified body. Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Paul takes this from uh, Hosea 13, verse 14. And he says in verse 56, The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. It's our sin that gives death its rightful claim upon us and power over us. If we were not sinners, if there were no sin, we would not die. There would be no death. Because the wages of sin is death. In fact, death entered the world through sin by the one man. And it's remained here. And the strength or power of sin is the law. The law points out our guilt. Notice this. The strength of sin is the law. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. 
Now, since we're not under the law and Christ has redeemed us from His curse, we're no, no longer judged by the law. The Bible says that you're not under the law, but under grace. So we're no longer judged by the law since Christ has died for us and redeemed us from its curse. Now, we want to hurry with the last verse or two. Verse 57, verse 58. He says, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory promised. We were helplessly bound by sin and by death, and our victory is due only to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've gained the victory, and the victory is promised. This victory is our present experience day by day. We have the victory over uh, many things day by day. And he tells us in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, what's he saying here? He wants us to become unmovable, become firm in the work of the Lord, in the work of spreading the gospel uh, to others and building them up in their faith. And do not waver like a leaf in the wind. Become firm as a rock. Be unmovable. Be unmovable in moral and ethical and doctrinal truth. And become a landmark. Become stable. We need to have stability and perseverance. Because these are Christian virtues. Stick with it. Be strong in the faith. And we can only be strong in the faith as we become strong in what God has promised in His Word. Strong in His Word. Because the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The stronger we are in the Word, the stronger we are in faith. John writes to to, uh, the young men, he says, I write unto you young men because you're strong, listen, and the Word of God abideth in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. What? Strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. And he says, I write unto you because you know the word, because you have the word of truth.